All right. If uh, I got a question to start with today. All right. Um, here's the question I want to ask. If you had one word to describe God, what word would you choose? Okay. And so talk about find somebody around you. Tell them a word that you would use to describe God. All right. Somebody tell me some words you would use. What? Holy. All right. I thought you said bully at first. I thought that's, that's we may need to work on some stuff. All right. So we heard holy. Somebody else? Sovereign. All right. Loving. Y'all bringing out the big words. All right. Mighty. All right. Here's the thing. There are lots of one word descriptions that we could use of God. Okay. But I think the first one that we could use, the one that comes first in Scripture, is actually one that I don't think you would think about very often. And that's the word artist. Now, my guess is, now some of you, because of what's happening around in the picture frames and whatever's happening over there, right? Some of you might have thought, hey, hey um, maybe it's maybe we're doing something with drawing or something like that. But I believe that artist is an accurate description of God, and I believe it's the first description of God. What's the first verse of the Bible? Somebody can quote it for me, right? In the beginning, God created, right? It helps when they put it on the screen, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created. Now, that word created is interesting because it doesn't say God assembled. It doesn't say that God put it on the manufacturing line, that God produced. It says God created. And the word that's used there is a Hebrew word that means to take nothing and make something. Now, I am, let me just tell you, I am in awe of artistic people. If I had to draw a person today, I would draw a stick figure because that's as good as it gets. Right? Keith jokingly came up to me a minute ago while I was, you know, when the... Stuff was kind of going on. I just sat right there at the keyboard. He said, just play a little background music for us. I could play Jaws. That's what I could play. All right. That's it. Uh, last week in the first service, uh, Keith found out literally three or four minutes before the service began that he was going to have to do offertory. And so I came out and I heard him playing and I was like, wow, that's really good. What, I wonder what he's playing. And so I peeked my head around to see what music was on the stand. There wasn't any there. It's like, what more? So I, I asked him, staff can tell you, I asked him, he goes, well, he goes, I just, you know, doodled, came up with it. I was like, it was good. He goes, I know, I wrote it down afterwards because I thought it was pretty good. I said, it was really good, all right? That amazes me, right? Scripture says that God created blank canvas, blank music page. And out of that, he brings forth life. <laughs> He didn't create either a utilitarian world that just works and doesn't have any aesthetic or beautiful qualities to it. He created an amazing thing. You can say lots of things about the created universe. You cannot say it's boring or ugly. It is beautiful in the way it is created. It wasn't rubber stamped or mass produced. It was from the thoughts of God. He spoke and it came forward. Psalm 19.1 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
Now, just think about this for a minute. All right. I want to put a picture up on the screen. See if you anybody know what this is. Stars, right? Anybody know what specific stars this is? This is the Milky Way. This is our subdivision in the known universe. Okay, and so this is where we live. Can you find your house in the midst of that anywhere? This is where we live. And in this known universe, this is our little galaxy. And, and the thing is, to measure how big this is, we have to use a ruler that we don't even, you know, like your, your um, little foot ruler is not going to be very helpful. What, what's, the, what's the ruler, what's the measurement they use to measure the distance of things like this? Light years, right? 108, how fast does light travel? 186,000 miles per second. That's fast. I don't know if y'all know that or not. That's fast. That wins the race on the playground, all right? Oh, so a light year, light travels 5.88 trillion miles in a year. Or, just to give you another thing, light in a year travels the equivalent of going 245 million times around the earth. And that's how we measure how big this thing is. One, uh, one astronomer who's a believer, talked about the billions of stars that are there. And he said that if you were to begin to count the number of stars in our galaxy, you know, just look up there and go, one, two, three. Y'all, y'all, don't, y'all want me to keep going? If you were to count every star in our galaxy, it would take you one star per second, 2,000 500 years. Look at what Isaiah 40, 25 and 26 say. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created this. He goes in the next verse and says, He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Our God is the one that spoke and knows every one of those billions of stars in our subdivision. That is one of billions of subdivisions in the known galaxy. He knows every single one of them by name. I had a hard time coming up with names for four kids. Right? Any of y'all ever had trouble coming up with a name for a kid? Right? Billions and billions of stars. Back to our little subdivision. Here's the Milky Way, what it, they think it looks like. I think, so obviously, <laughs> you realize we haven't gotten outside of the Milky Way and taken a picture of it. But this is composite, what they've kind of put together that it looks like. A hundred thousand light years across. So if you want to go hang out with your neighbors on the other side of the galaxy, just hop on. Travel at the speed of light for a hundred thousand years, and you'll be there. Now, where's Earth in the middle of that? Y'all, y'all see it anywhere? Our solar system is somewhere on this bottom part. They think around two thirds out, in between the bands. It's a good thing you're not in the center because that is not—that's not good. All right, or out on the bands, that's all stuff floating around and just destroying stuff. And so we're on one of those outer bands, and they say that. If our solar system, they, they compare our solar system is a quarter than a Milky Way galaxy. That's our solar system. You realize from the sun to Pluto, right? Whether you like Pluto as a planet or not, Pluto, a quarter 
our galaxy is the North American hemisphere, part of the continent. And somewhere in the middle of that is this little ball where we live. And when you think about the magnificence God used in creating the universe, you think, well, maybe he ran out of ideas when he got here. Well, I know that's not the case, right? I mean, just think about some of the most amazing places on earth. Places like Mount Everest. Tallest peak anywhere around. Or the Great Barrier Reef that stretches for miles and miles. This intricate system of sea life. Or Victoria Falls. Where rainbows regularly can be seen. You can see one in the picture there on the bottom left. Refracting through the amazing flow of water. Or the northern lights. That light up the northern hemisphere at night. This summer I read a book about the Grand Canyon. Some guys that decided they want to make the fastest trip through the Grand Canyon. And just to hear of the size and the majesty of the Grand Canyon are amazing. Anybody ever been to any of those places? Right? Here's the one of the seven natural wonders of the world where I've been. This is Rio. It's the harbor of Rio. And the earth just created this unbelievable place. I've stood on that mountain in the center. I've stood next to the Jesus statue. And to see God's majesty and glory revealed in the creation that he has is unbelievable. You ever been somewhere and just been caught in awe at the beauty of what surrounds you? You ever sat in a boat in the middle of a pristine lake and just been in awe of the stillness of the moment? Or stood on the edge of the ocean and heard those waves rolling in, seen a mighty river flowing and amazed at its power. And yet, hundreds of billions of stars, billions of galaxies, seven wonders of the natural world, and God says that none of those are the apex of creation. Because in the creation story, he ends with the apex of creation. And the apex of creation is us. Take that in. I don't think you got that. People travel hundreds of thousands of miles a year to come to see things like the Grand Canyon or the Christ statue overlooking that harbor or to go see the northern lights. And yet God says that the most amazing creation he ever did was us. Here's our theme verse for Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says this. It says we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, let me just, I want to break this verse down for just a minute. We're going to talk about it. Then we're going to tell you where we're going over the next few weeks. All right. The word workmanship there doesn't sound especially exciting at the beginning. We're God's workmanship. That almost sounds like something he's produced on an assembly line, right? We're, the, we're just the thing he's, he's cranking out. But that's not what that word means. In fact, I'm going to teach you a little Greek here today. And all God's people said, listen to that. Y'all are excited about Greek. It says we are his poema. Y'all say that word with me. Poema. Poema. Poema was the word that literally meant a piece of work, but it meant more than just something you crafted real quick or that is put in an assembly line. It literally meant it, it was a work of art. It, the word poema, as you might guess what word we got from that? Poem. Some of you got that, all right? 
And that doesn't mean just a poem, though, but it was any kind of artistic expression. It was any way that someone created something that had life and beauty. They would talk about the poema that you had created, whether it was a painting or a poem, whether it was some kind of craft that you had built. Craftsmanship was huge in their day and time. And so when Paul looks for a word to describe who we are in Christ, he finds this word that means piece of art. So for this series, we're going to insert what that word really meant. And it's simply this. That we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, let me just say from the very beginning, for some of you in this room, the only thing you need to hear today is this. That you are beautiful and created in the image of God and that you are a masterpiece. No matter what you have nicks in your life and what has happened in your life and where you've been in your life, that in Christ Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been created as a masterpiece of God. And some of you need to be convinced of that because you've forgotten it or you don't want to believe it. But it's scripture and it's truth. We are his masterpiece. So what does that mean? What what does it mean that we are his masterpiece? Two things today. That's all we're going to do. Two things. How many things are we going to do? Two. All right. And then I got three or four points after that. But we're going to do these two first. All right. We are his masterpiece. What does it mean? First of all, it means that you are unique. Say that. Say, I am unique. Now, what does unique mean? One of a kind, right? Let me just, let me just, I'm a little bit of a grammar Nazi, alright? Let me just help you out here. Don't, you can't ever put a, a modifier in front of unique. You can't ever say somebody is very unique. Because how are you very one of a kind? You're one of a kind, right? So you are unique. You are one of a kind. There is no one on the face of the earth that has ever been exactly like you, and there never will be. You are like no one else that has ever existed in the history of mankind. Now, there's biological explanations for that. Uh, We're going to go back to biology class for a minute. Are you excited about that? No, you're not. All right. Some of you are in biology class. If you're in biology or remember this, how many chromosomes make up your... How many chromosomes come together to make you? I, I hear 23, 24. Neither one of those are right. All right. What's 23 times 2? 46. Uh, y'all stuck a little math in on you, all right? 46 chromosomes. Can I tell you this? Do you get 23 from your mom, 23 from your dad? Are you with me? Are you here? Okay. 23 from your mom, 23 from your dad. The number of combinations possible in that 23 you get from your mom, the number of combinations possible is somewhere around 10 million. Combinations of hers. The number of combinations from your dad is somewhere around 10 million. And if you multiply those combinations together, that means the number of possibilities from you, from your mom and dad, are somewhere around 100 trillion. Now, if you think about this, all right, it's going to go deep. Are you all ready to go deep for a second? Okay. So between your mom and dad, there's 100 trillion combinations to come up with you, right? How many of you in this room have ever had, have, have, or do you have more than one kid? How many? How many of you that have more than one? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I know you don't want to raise them. How many of you have two kids that are exactly the same? 
I don't mean like identical, I mean like everything the same, right? How many of you have kids that are completely different? Like you wouldn't believe how different they are, right? It's a hundred trillion combinations. Now think about this, are you ready? Getting deep. There were a hundred trillion combinations that could possibly like your mom and dad. And a hundred trillion that could have made their mom and dad. And if you start doing the math, that's like times upon times upon times, right? Biologically, there's this reality that you are unique. Scripture teaches us that we're unique. One of my favorite stories in Scripture that teaches this kind of principle is David, right? David was a man who was after God's own heart, was a man who was living for the Lord. And there was this time when he went to fight the giant. Y'all remember that was the giant's name? Goliath, right? And he goes and fights Goliath. And as he's fighting Goliath, getting ready to fight Goliath, he goes to get ready because nobody else will fight him. And he finally says, well, I'll go fight him. Why why is nobody going to fight him? And he gets ready. And what does Saul try to do for David? Do you remember this? What does he try to do? He tries to put Saul's armor on him. Now, what we know from Scripture is Saul was a tall, handsome, strong, buff man. Kind of like me, right? And it's... Who Saul was. And David was not. And when they put Saul's armor on David, which would seem like the logical choice. You're going to fight the greatest champion of the Philistines, heavily armored. The Philistines were the only ones that had swords. It seemed, (laughs) can I get a little protection from that, right? And David says, what does he say about Saul's armor? It's too big, I can't wear it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it my own way. You are unique. God has crafted you in a way that is only you. You are a creation of God that was thought of and thought through by God before you were ever born. And as a result, as he knits you together in the innermost parts of what was happening, as he did that, he created you. You're unique. Here's the second thing it means. You're created For a mission. Prepared in advance. Gotten ready. There's never ever been someone like you. And there's never been someone that is supposed to do what you are supposed to do. I don't know if I've got it next, Steve. But if we could go back to the verse of scripture out of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. There it is. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why are we created as a workmanship? Why are we created as this work of art? Why are we the masterpiece that God has created? What does it say? For good works. Which God prepared before him that we should do them. Here's the idea. God says that he has prepared for us. He has already laid out for us a plan of the way that he wants to use. The way you have been uniquely gifted and talented. The way that you have been uniquely um, created by God. He has laid out for you a certain thing that he wants you to do. Now, some things he wants all of us to be a part of. When people ask me sometimes, what's my purpose in life? What's my, my goal in life? Do you know God's will for my life? I can tell you there are five or six things that God definitely wants you to be a part of. And the first one is this. He, he wants you to be a part of worshiping Him, celebrating Him, being a part of loving Him. God wants you to be a part of growing in your faith and knowledge and discipleship and learning what it means to follow Him. He wants you to be involved in encouraging other people of faith, other believers in who they are. He wants you to be a part in serving in the world and and telling other people about who Jesus Christ is. But how that works itself out in your life is completely unique to you. 
God has gifted you with certain abilities, certain things that he wants you to do and only you. Anybody ever seen the Taken movies? How many of you have seen them? All right, how many of you have not seen them? Yeah, me neither. All right, I haven't seen any of them. But I know the premise, all right? And the premise is a guy gets his daughter kidnapped and they call him and they say, we, we need a ransom to give your daughter back. And the, the line that he says next has become famous in pop culture. He says, I do not have a ransom, but I do have a certain set of skills developed over the years which would not be good for people like you. And give my daughter back or I will find you. And I will kill you. But that's not what God's asked you to do, all right? But he has given you a certain set of skills prepared specifically for what you're going to do. I, y'all know I've talked about it before. I love like the, the spy movies, the, the team movies coming together to do something. When I was growing up, one of my favorite shows on TV was The A-Team. Yeah, all right, thank you, Chris Back. I heard that wasn't an amen. That was a yes. I got that. All right. And I loved it because of all the characters that were uniquely gifted in each part to do the part that they were supposed to do. Right. My favorite was um, Mr. T. Right. B.A. Barabbas. He was my absolute favorite. But there was this in that show. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. Tracking with me. In that show, he would say that the, the leader of the group would always say, I love it when a plan comes together. Right. And the idea was that they had all used their unique gifts to come together for God's glory. Not there, but for us. You have a mission. I can't tell you what it is specifically. I can tell you what it revolves around. Here's let me tell you some things about the works that God has created for you. First of all, know this. Anything you do by God's grace for God's glory is a good work. I'm going to say that again. Anything you do by God's grace for God's glory is a good work. So don't think you've got to go out there and find some new career. Do your career for the glory of God, and that's a good work. Don't think you've got to go out there and find some new hobby that you've got to take up. If you're doing in God's grace, for God's glory, what you're doing, it means that you're doing it as a good work. I think it's interesting to me that Jesus, you realize Jesus lived like 33 years, and it tells us that he lived a perfect life all 33 of those years. How many of those years was he in ministry? Three to three and a half. So for 29 to 30 years, Jesus did good works all day, every day, glorifying God with everything he was doing while he was working in the carpentry shop. Now know this, though. Doing good works for Christ is often more than just your daily routine. So it's your daily routine. Do it for the glory of God. It's good works. But there's usually something else God has in store. God works in the mundane, but he rarely keeps you in your routine too long. He'll upset it. He'll bring somebody new into your life to minister to. He'll give you a new task that will stretch you beyond what you're comfortable with. Because here's what I found in my life. In routine, I get comfortable, and God's good works often make me uncomfortable. They're good works prepared in advance. It's something you were designed to do and concentrate here and now, not then and there. So here's what we're going to do. All right. Those are our two points for the day. You are unique. You have a mission. What we're going to do over the next five weeks is talk about, okay, so how does God form that masterpiece of us? How does he make us into the people he's called us to be? 
One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite illustrations of this comes from the life of a great artist named Michelangelo. Now, I didn't know him personally. I don't know if you did. He lived about 500 years ago. But this is a famous statue that he, he created. Anybody know what statue this is? David, right? Here's what I did not know until this week. I didn't realize that, that the block of stone that he carved this out, that this statue did not originate with Michelangelo. There was actually an artist by the name of Augustino de Deducio. Just fast and confidently, right? And about a half a century before Michelangelo, he started working on this 18-foot block of sculpture and gave up. Michelangelo came along and he saw it and he talked about this, this whole thing of Imagio del Cora, which meant that there was inside of this stone uh, something that was wanting to come out. And Michelangelo said in his mind he saw that the statue of David was inside this 18 foot block of stone and all he needed to do was to chisel away all the parts that weren't a part of that image. And so for four years, he worked diligently to remove the excess stone. Here's what I want to tell you, okay? For most of us in this room, we are that 18-foot block of stone. In fact, Scripture often describes the heart that has not been turned to God as a stone heart. And what God does is he chips away at that stone until the heart of who we are in him shines forth. Now, theologically, we talk about it in three stages. We talk about justification when Christ looks at us and because of our acceptance of the gift he has given us, we receive salvation in that moment. We were saved. We talk about sanctification. That is, he is molding us and changing us and allowing us to grow into the people that he wants us to be. We are being saved. And we talk about glorification, that one day, in the sweet by and by, when the roll is called up yonder, we'll fly away. Christ is coming again, and as he comes again, he will give us our new bodies, and he will completely remove the presence of sin from our lives. Justification removes the penalty of sin. Sanctification removes the power of sin. Glorification removes the presence of sin. It's a three-stage process. We're going to talk a little bit today about justification, but for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about what does it look like when God is chiseling away the stone around us to get us prepared for that moment that we see him. And it starts, interestingly enough, back at Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, for we are his masterpiece created. There's that word picked up almost directly as a translation of the first word of Genesis, one of the first words of Genesis. In Christ Jesus, four good works which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. The first thing that God does is he takes that chisel and he takes a huge whack at the stone heart we have and he saves us from our sins. If you want to become the masterpiece that God intends, if you want to become the piece of art, the artwork, the glorious life, if you want your life to be all that it can be, the first step is you have to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Nothing else really happens until that happens. You must be saved by him. You must accept the forgiveness that he is already offering to you. The prerequisite for fulfilling your God-given mission is to accept your God-given Forgiveness. 
Just in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, it tells us how we're saved. By grace, not by works, by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So here's my question for you today. Are you saved? Not if you're on a role, on a church membership role. Not if you've attended this church. Not if you attended this church one time and you've come back today. Not how many Bible verses can you name or how much do you read your Bible or how many prayers do you say? Have you accepted the free gift of grace that Christ has offered? Have you, through faith, been saved by grace? Here's my concern. My concern is there are some of you here today that think you're okay, and yet you've never taken this step. I mentioned uh, Michelangelo's painting of, of David. One of the most interesting things about it is that thousands of people go to see that every day in Florence, Italy. Now, I'll show you a picture of the hallway that leads to the statue of David. Thousands of people go down that hallway every day, but what they often pass by without even thinking about is on the sides. You see those statues on the sides? This hallway is called the hallway of prisoners. Because these are statues that were started and never completed. And Michelangelo called them captives in the stone who have yet to be released from what they should be. And it's fascinating that they've put it right in line with what many consider to be the greatest statue in the history of the world carved by man. Because it points out that he could have left that stone like it was, and for 50 years it was, and never done anything and created this work of art. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about ways that God's going to chisel at our lives to to flake off stuff and to get rid of stuff that we need to get rid of and ways that he will use us in order to see his glory show through our lives. But it does take a willingness on our part to be set free. And what I would hate to see is that there are some of you today that are still captive to the stone heart that's placed in you. And you've never been saved. Just a moment, we're going to pray, we're going to have a time of response, and in the midst of that, I'm just going to ask you to respond however it is. Maybe you're here and you've been coming to church here and you think this is the place God's leading you and you want to join. We'd love for that to happen today. It'd be a great day for that to happen. Maybe you get a prayer concern that you want to share with me or that you want to just come to the altar and pray. We'd love for that to happen. Maybe you're here and for the first time in your life, you want to be saved by Jesus Christ. We'd love for that to happen as well. Let's pray together.